Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, it is striking that on the weekend before so many of us start back to school, either teaching or a student, high school, middle school, elementary, university, the scriptures that we read today have so much to say about wisdom. Wisdom is a jewel. Wisdom is what orders our life toward goodness. In the Old Testament reading, we have King David is now dead. His son Solomon has taken the throne. And God speaks to Solomon and asks Solomon, make any wish. What would you like for me to give you? If you were in Solomon's shoes, where would that question go? I don't know if you're like me. Um, I have games that I play in my head when, whenever I'm on long road trips. And one of the games is, um, I don't know why this started like, like 20 years ago. I started imagining what would happen if I won the Powerball lottery. If I had $400 million, like what would I do with that? And the other one is, if you ever rub the genie and you get the three wishes, like what would those three wishes be? I mean, everybody knows that the first wish is for endless wishes, right? I mean, this is a no-brainer. But we have Solomon here, God encountering Solomon and him saying, what do you want? And Solomon said, God, if you would give me a wise, understanding mind. The NIV reads this, a listening heart a discerning and listening heart so that I could be able to know and discern between good and evil. Now, it seems that Solomon perhaps had encountered how much he was going to need wisdom. In chapter 2 of 1 Kings, it seems like Solomon was a little unhinged. He was going after his enemies left and right. At the beginning of chapter 3, the lectionary skipped over this part, but he marries one of Pharaoh's daughters for a political alliance. And the sense you get is that this was not very wise. And then he prays and asks God for wisdom. And he says specifically, would you pray, would you give me wisdom so that I can discern between good and evil? And as you're reading this story, your mind should probably awaken a little bit. Where have I heard this before? Discerning between good and evil. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And God told Adam and Eve, you have the entire garden. It's yours. Eat to your heart's content. Enjoy. Flourish. There's one tree to stay away from. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, as I'm reading Genesis, it seems to me that this knowledge, this wasn't just like a test for Adam and Eve. It wasn't God just trying to prove that he really was sort of the boss and he could still set rules. It seems that for Adam and Eve, this was a kind of knowledge that they were not mature enough to actually comprehend. 
This is a knowledge that would destroy them rather than lead them to life. This is a knowledge that at this point only God held. Now, it's reading between the lines a little bit, but as I imagine the Genesis story, it seems to me that this actually was a knowledge that God intended for Adam and Eve to have at some point. As they would grow in maturity and life with God, the time would come where perhaps they would make a request like Solomon and would say, God, may I have from you some of this gift too? But Adam and Eve believed the lie that so many of us believe. The lie that God is holding out on us. The lie that goodness and beauty and truth are to be found when we grab it for ourselves. And so distrusting the generosity of God, they grab the fruit and hell is unleashed. We arrive at Solomon, and I'm not suggesting this was at the same level of eating of this tree, but there is something connected here between Solomon's request to God, recognizing what humanity in our moments of sanity ought always recognize is that we are desperate for the kind of deep wisdom, the discerning between good and evil that really only comes from the one who is the author of everything that is good and the one against whom all evil is aligned. And that is our good and generous God. He asked God for a discerning mind. Another way of hearing this is a listening, humble heart. It's profound whenever we encounter someone with real wisdom. Wisdom the way the scriptures define it. When we encounter that kind of person, there is a quietness in them. I'm not necessarily saying they are quiet, but there is an interior quietness and listening posture. There's a spaciousness because they don't have to speak too often or too loud or too much. That kind of spaciousness actually receives the other person. It's a listening, discerning, humble posture of openness that makes space for other people. Have you been around someone like that? Do you know someone like that? God, Solomon said, give me a listening, discerning heart so that I can discern between good and evil. And this discerning doesn't just seem like, oh, so I can categorize things and I can have the knowledge of power over this. It's, it's far deeper and richer than that. It's, it's God, I need the kind of wisdom that puts me in a space where I'm receiving your vision of the world, where I am receiving your life, and I can then begin to operate in a way that sees the world for what it truly is, as the garden and creation of God's goodness that opens up the possibilities to live in a world that is healthy and beautiful and abundant. And so we come to the epistle reading and we hear these words, be very careful then 
be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The way the NRSV uh, read it this morning was making the most of your time. Now, when you hear that phrase, make the most of your time, how do you hear it? Does that put you in a place of panic? Do you hear that as this sort of clicking talk, clock hanging over you saying, boy, you better not waste a second because the hourglass, the sands are running out. You better grab it. You better do it. Well, first of all, that is never the posture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is abundance and life. The kingdom of God is a listening and discerning heart. That's the opposite of panic and chaos. In Ephesians, to make the most of your time is because the days are evil. In other words, because we are surrounded by much that is evil. Do you ever sense that you are surrounded by a lot of evil? Because that is the case, we must make the most of our time. And in Ephesians, to make the most of our time is to be able to discern when we're surrounded with evil, how to know in the wisdom of God what is good and what is evil. It is to go back again to Genesis and to recognize that we require God's presence, God's knowledge in order to truly know what is good and evil. It is return, to return to kings and pray with Solomon, God, we need your wisdom in order to know what is good and what is evil. And then it says at the very end of the, of the section we wrote, read in Ephesians, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this interesting? In this same passage, we have the sense that the days are evil. I mean, this is dire. This feels apocalyptic. The days are evil. And then it moves rather swiftly to giving thanks to God for everything. This is what happens when our heart and mind are transformed by the ongoing life of God is that no longer is evil the story of our days, but thanksgiving to God as the one who is truly telling the story. And all of a sudden, the world that may seem evil is a place abundant with thanksgiving and joy. That every place is no longer a place that's marred by evil only. It is a place where God is active and present and operating. No pain in our heart or our body is ruled only by the story 
of that pain, but it is ruled by the fact that God is present in the very middle of that pain. And all of a sudden, something that is true pain and is true sorrow can also become a place of thanksgiving. It is being able to see God present and alive, above, beyond, beneath, surrounding, in every moment, in every place, in every conversation. That the story of God, active and present in the world, is the true story that we are living by. And every other story begins to fall away. Because in the wisdom of God, we have begun to see the world as God see it, sees it. And we we're able to discern this is good and this is evil. And the one who is good is right in the middle of every space. And so then we arrive at the gospel reading. And at first glance, perhaps this gospel reading just seems to have no connection whatsoever. And it's these strange, strange words about eating Jesus's flesh and drinking Jesus's blood. And maybe we cringe a little bit. It's certainly not imagery that we really want to ponder all that much. But we remember that the Apostle Paul told us that Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So all of this wisdom, this way that God understands the world, this way of living in the world that is whole and true and discerning and wise, these, this way that we've begun to to, to process and, and, and ask for God's help with, all of a sudden we arrive at the person of Jesus and we find that in Jesus we find embodied the very wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God, Jesus says, my flesh is given for you for the life of the world. And all of a sudden we hear perhaps what God was saying all the way back in Genesis again. Eat. Eat from me. Your life, your future, your hope, your goodness, your well-being, it is found in eating what I have to give you. Whenever we attempt to grab what we need, what we think we need, the nourishment that we think that we require. Whenever we move outside of God's story to grab these things, we move into a realm of death. And the beauty of God in the person of Christ is this wide open invitation to eat, to drink, to receive life from God, true wisdom, to be able to move outside from our confining, narrow, powerful as they are stories and to come into the life and mind of God. This is why the Christian practice of contemplation 
is so vital because it moves us from simply reacting to everything around us. And I'm telling you, we are, we are reactors. <laughs> we are reacting to everything. But whenever our heart and mind is able to fall into the deep wisdom of God made available to us in Jesus, to the wisdom that God tells in Jesus, to the story of the world that God tells in Jesus, when we can sink into that deep truth, then we begin to see the world as God sees it. We begin to live with a wide open courage, spaciousness, obedience, faithfulness, hope, love. We begin to say, actually, this is good and this is evil. And it's not just the facts of those things. It's the way of those things. It's the presence of being in a place and being able to live in a way that is connected to the goodness of God and pushes away the evil powers that would press upon us. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.